Another week of camp is completed, and we're going to dive in and go over all of the updates and news and notes that you're going to want to know about Boston College football as they head into the 2022 season. All of this and more on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked on Boston College. I am your host, AJ Black. It's Mondays with Mitch. And with me, as always, I have Mitch Wolf. Mitch, how's it going? It's going good. You know, it's exciting that we're getting into camp now. We're learning a lot about uh, the players who, you know, have been performing well. But we're also getting some kind of disappointing information about injuries and all that jazz. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's natural with camp. You see other teams that have been hit with it, you know, Sam Hartman has an injury or something going on that we don't know about, but Clemson just lost a major player. Notre Dame just lost a major player. Florida state lost a major player. Boston college. They have two players right now that we're not sure what's going on with them. And that's center drew Kendall and wide receiver Jalen Gill. Now some context drew Kendall was he was obviously practicing uh, for a while. You saw him in some of the pictures. They talked about him. And I think it was for Tuesday's um, press meeting availability. He was supposed to come and talk to us. And all of a sudden, Jack Conley walks in and we're like, oh, something different. And then he misses the next two practices. Halfley, he was up front and said, you know, he's mispracticed. He's hurt. Nothing. Uh, we're not expecting anything big from this. Um, I don't know much more. I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> which he said that I was like, okay, whatever. But Kendall is been, has been out and in his place, Boston college has replaced him in practice. Again, they've been trying the other guys out with converted defensive lineman, Jackson Ness. Now Ness got rave reviews from Halfley. He Halfley raves and reviews most of his guys. You'd have to kind of do that. <laughs> um, but as the center uh, for the Eagles, I guess he kind of moved over from defensive line to center over in the spring. Coach Googs was really happy with what he was able to do, and he's worked his way into that rotation. Mitch, how big of a loss would it be if Kendall had to lose, uh, miss, you know, substantial amount of time? I think it's concerning, and it's weird because obviously Kendall really hasn't played meaningful or significant snaps with the team. So, and he is young, so you know you might think it it doesn't matter as much, but you know he is one of the higher rated prospects for BC like ever since you know the recruiting rankings started. Um, so that is concerning to not have him there. Um, luckily, I think it's better at least that it happens now as opposed to like midway through the season when you kind of have to reshuffle things. You know, at least now they're getting to experiment with different guys of the position. I know we there were some pictures or clips of Dwayne Alec playing center who has some experience there, also a defensive line convert. And you know, Jackson Ness kind of you didn't really know where he was gonna when he was playing defensive end based on his size it was kind of difficult to tell like where he was going to fit in on this defense. So him switching to offensive line makes things a little more makes it kind of makes sense. You know, a lot of guys make that conversion because maybe they aren't just as athletic as they need to be, or they just aren't as the temperament between offensive defense alignment is very interesting. The difference between the two. So maybe he was just more destined for an offensive lineman's temperament. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to see like, you know, position changes happen. It's just part of the game and call, especially at the college level. And I, I feel like I want to know more if it was made out of desperation or if it was made out of this is a, a solid player. 
I think given that this, I think this transition, this uh, switch was happened in the spring. So I think he's just been working on switching over. So I don't think that it was kind more of, of a, more of, when I was saying desperation, I meant more like lack of depth in the, oh yeah. I, think that, about. I do think that was the case at the time when they decided to make that switch because they did have given the guys they were recruiting on the defensive line, you know, Ness didn't really fit the profile of guys they were looking for. And they said, well, we do have some depth concerns at offensive line. So, you know, we can switch you over and try to teach you that. So, you know, Halfley has said right now he's day to day. And if you follow along, I don't, I don't, I'm not judging Halfley at all in the way he deals with things because he can do it whatever way he wants to. It's his program. He's respecting his kids. We've seen different examples of what day to day can mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> with different guys. And mm-hmm. day to day could mean Drew Kendall could be back on the field tomorrow. Day to day could mean that Drew Kendall will be back in 2023. We Jeff Halfley would have a great career as a like hockey injury report designator where it's just like upper or lower body injury and they don't really have to give timetables for them. So it's just like, oh, it's above his waist and he's, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, he, he was interesting. And I my eyebrow raised a little bit when he said to when he, he said, I don't know what's going on with him. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> um, given, I would say given that, you know, it was a late switch over to Conley, it might have kind of the injury might have happened uh, you know, that day. And that's why they made that switch. And I mean, even, you know, you look at a guy like, you know, Zach Wilson just had a injury yeah. in the yeah. preseason for the jets. And some people saw the video like, Oh no, his ACL has gone. And then, you know, later in the reports, it says, yeah, we think it's intact, but you know, he's got to have tests and everything. So, you know, they're probably doing tests on it. And, you know, if it were, if it, if they were, I think if it was something serious, they were concerned about, it, I think we would have a little more information. Right. And, and to be fair if, for those folks, I, I honestly don't care what Jeff Halfley does. Like that's his, his prerogative and to his kids. I'm just, I'm just busting chops here. Um, it's his call. Now the second injury that popped up came up on Sunday and that was wide receiver Jalen Gill. Now Gill had been reported uh, from some of our practice reports that he had been missing, uh, had been, been out. He was there earlier this summer. Again, we saw him, uh, we talked to him earlier this summer and now he is out. Halfley says this one doesn't seem like it's that big of a loss. And given the practice reports we have, and again, I don't fall in love with practice reports because I don't know how much you can take out of it, but I feel like this is a position that BC is strong enough that if Gil has to miss a couple of weeks, they'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, if they could afford a, you know, loss at any position group, I would say that wide receiver will be the one, you know, aside from, you know, flowers missing time. And I think Gil is a very good receiver, definitely a good number two to Zay. Um, but him being out does give the opportunity for guys like Dante Reynolds and Lewis Bond to kind of get some more reps and show what they can do and prove that they might need to, you know, get some more reps in game. And, you know, I think I talked on last week's episode about the offense, not, Oh, this was on the spaces that we talked about this uh, yeah. the other day um, where, the BC offense doesn't really use, um, you know, four wide receiver sets very often. I think they use them less than 10 times. So, you know, they're really only going to have two or three wide receivers on the field at any given time. So, you know, if it's Zay and, you know, take your pick of the two guys I just mentioned, you know, Joseph Griffith or Griffin is supposedly having a good camp. You know, we, we are big Taji Johnson fans in this podcast. We hope he can get some playing time. So, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, having a veteran guy who, you know, what he is being out, is disappointing, but it does give the opportunity for other guys to step up and, you know, maybe establish, establish themselves as good playmakers. And I, uh, yeah, before we get into our next segment, we, we mentioned Lewis Bond and Dante Reynolds. I thought I saw, we got, um, I got the chance to talk to uh, John McNulty and Tim Lokabu for the first time during camp. And a lot of the talk is usual kind of things you hear, 
But one of the things McNulty said about Bond and Reynolds struck out to me that he was like, and you know, it could be just, you know, flowery imagery here, but he said, when I watched the tape, I said of, of Lewis Bond and Dante Reynolds playing, he goes, am I watching Zay Flowers out there? He goes, that, that's the, that's the amount of explosiveness the two of them have. Um, and I thought that was really high praise of the two, especially we've heard buzz from Halfley and other guys, you know, more um, Jakovic has mentioned those two. So I, I can't wait. I, it sounds like to me, Bond is destined to be getting major snaps this year. He's out there with the first team a lot. Uh, you, you read the reports with him with Jakovic a lot. So I, I feel like he will. I don't expect Reynolds to. He may be a guy that's more of a depth player, but uh, definitely would be a position to watch. Now, in a moment, we're going to get into Emmett Moorhead. Uh, another, you know, everyone's favorite conversation is the backup quarterback. He's the most popular guy on the roster. So we'll talk a little bit about Moorhead and what are realistic expectations for this backup heading into 2022. Now, LinkedIn Jobs is one of our special sponsors of Locked On Boston College. And as you gear up for fall, you need to get the right people on your team to help your businesses fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates who just have just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to hire and interview. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Did you know that LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster? Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn Jobs? jobs post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college it's linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply locked on boston college aj black i am also the editor of eagle insider part of the 247 sports network uh if you want all that insider camp information i'm there uh, a couple times every week to watch camp to go talk to the players talk to the staff um, I, I have it all. So come over, become an insider be, and you get even more access. I, I had stock risers from camp. Also, it's a good stuff. It, it's 30% off for the year right now. So if you want to go over to Eagle Insider and sign up, it's a good deal. Uh, you also become part of our message board and all sorts of great little perks and uh, recruiting information throughout the year. Now we're talking about summer camp. And as I was alluding to at the end of the first segment, the backup quarterback is one of the most popular positions on any football squad. If you talk to anyone, any team that has any inkling of struggles, the first thing they talk about is the backup quarterback. And I, I admit with Boston college for years, you know, guys like um, Troy Flutie, Jeff Smith, uh, you name it. They were the EJ Perry. They were shout all, out John Fadule. <laughs> exactly. They were the guys you always wanted to, to talk about getting in there. Now, with Dracovic, you're feeling pretty good about him. But there's always that lingering question about injuries. And we talked about that again this week, saying that he needs to be less, he needs to be less reckless with some of his plays, which I, I was really glad to hear him say that. Uh, Mitch and I talked about that more in depth last week. But Emmett Moorhead uh, is is now the backup solidly. And you know, Halfley talked about Moorhead this year, this week. I asked him, I asked him about it. He said, you know, Moorhead's development is like night and day. 
you're talking about a kid that came from a school where they didn't have a senior season because of COVID-19. He didn't get a chance to play. And then they threw him in last year. And it was very evident that he um, was raw. He didn't have the, the really the talent or not the talent, the ability to, to, to uh, diagnose and, and live up to playing against some of those NC, uh, FBS schools. Now, when it comes to night and day, he talked a little Morehead talked about it. Dracovic talked about it today that, you know, it's more that he's, he's spent more time watching film. He's working on his fundamentals. He's, he's building all that stuff. But to that extent too, Halfley also said, he seemed like when he asked him if Morehead was ready to be the starter day one, if something was to happen, I got a little sense of apprehension from him. Mitch, we're now entering the redshirt freshman year of Emmett Moorhead. Like, where should he be developmentally wise in your eyes? That is an interesting question. And, you know, it's funny. You, you think about Jeff Hapley's apprehension to play Moorhead. Even you think about the game last year at Syracuse where he didn't even give Moorhead the start. He still gave Grossell the start. And then after Grossell proved ineffective against Syracuse, he finally made the move to Moorhead and, you know, Moorhead had, you know, two or three nice plays, but a lot of the rest of his plays were not very good. And, you know, I'm looking at some of his stats from PFF right now. And again, I'm not necessarily using their grades just because I'm just using their stats, which are a really good resource. Um, so in against Syracuse, he played a little bit against Wake, but I don't really care about that because that was garbage time. But in the 23 dropbacks against Syracuse, he threw the ball 15 times. He had six completions for 87 yards. On those 23 dropbacks, he was pressured on eight of them and eight, five of those pressures turned into sacks. And that's a crazy high rate. So with Moorhead, what you're hoping is that he can, and this is kind of what we talked about Jerkovic as well, is you want to see him essentially make the layups, get make take the easy stuff for the offense, you know, make those quick completions that can keep the offense on schedule. He, obviously he has the physical talent to, you know, sling the ball far downfield. He had some decent plays as a runner as well. But he was a guy, and a lot of young quarterbacks do this, is essentially if their first read is not there or if they are pressured quickly, they panic. And, you know, for a guy, like you said, that didn't play much his senior year and was kind of thrust into action on the road in a hostile environment, he did not perform well. And, like, looking at the schedule, I'm really hoping that, you know, we really only have to see Moorhead in a maximum of four games, you know, uh, you're probably going to see him against Maine, obviously. Maybe he can do some mop-up duty against Rutgers if that game becomes a blowout. Um, and then maybe the the UConn and Duke games, maybe ideally those become blowouts and he maybe can get it, play in the, far, in the fourth quarter or something. But, you know, you really – I don't think you really want him playing this year because I think if you do, you know, we obviously had our complaints about Dennis Grossell's play in 2021. But I think that at least with Grossell, you know, there were times where the offense was – it was – you know, it was slow and it, but it was, it was relatively on schedule. Whereas with Moorhead, I'd be very concerned that the offense would devolve into a very chaotic, very erratic, where there'd be a lot of sacks, a lot more turnovers, a lot more interceptions, all that kind of, a lot more really catastrophically bad plays. Whereas with Grossell, you know, he would, you know, drop back to pass and he'd overthrow Zay. And like, that's not good. Obviously you don't want that, but that's better than, you know, not seeing your first read get covered and then panicking, running backwards and then a sack fumble, you know? So I think Moorhead is going to take that step forward, but I really don't think he's ready to be a consistent starter or even player for this team. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things Halfley brought up was, and, I, and the part that I didn't even think of was, yeah, he missed his senior year, but he also last year, 
he was third on the depth chart to start the season. So going into the summer, he wasn't even getting major reps. He mm-hmm. was just kind of, you know, he'd get, you know, splitting reps with Dalen Menard and Matt Reeve and whoever else was on the depth chart while, while Grossell and Dracovic got most of the, most of the snaps. So this is his first camp where he's actually getting those primary snaps as the backup. And you're seeing his name all over the place. I think what you said is perfect, right? Like you want to just see him get all those snaps with the second team all year long, mm-hmm. continue to build, continue to build confidence, his ability to read BC's own defense. And hopefully he's going to have, you know, he's got, he, he, you know, he even said it, he's got the, the, the natural talent. Like he's got that arm, he's size, which is like crazy and good. Having the ability to, to read it, watch the film and understand everything you feel much more confident that he'll be ready to go in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're going to, I think if he does play and, you know, especially if he's playing against the backups late in games or against just inferior opponents, you know, I think you're going to see him, you know, be able to keep the offense on schedule. And then, you know, if a play does break down, he'll at least have the time to be like, okay, like I can still try to figure this out and, you know, kind of make a playoff schedule. But I think if he's thrust into action against, you know, the real teams, the Clemson's, the Notre Dame's, the, you know, Florida State's Wake Forest, I think then that could be a recipe for disaster. But I, I, I'm excited to see him kind of get the, you know, I meant this, I think this is now that I'm kind of kind of get a streak of mentioning the Steelers on this podcast, which I'm sure our New England fans love. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett gets in in the first preseason game for the Steelers and in basically the fourth quarter against, again, deep backups, but runs the offense officially. I think he was 13 of 15 for like 90 some yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns, actually. So, you know, that's what you want to see. Like you want to see him run the offense effectively, you know, keep the ball moving forward, get essentially get the ball out of your hands quickly, get it into the playmaker's hand. So, you know, the longer you hold on the ball, the more likely it is for a negative play at this point in your career, you know, and maybe down the road, you know, he develops into kind of the Dracovic type where he can break out of those sacks, you know, make crazy plays off schedule and and throws off platform. But right now I just want to see him, you know, kind of be a traditional basic quarterback, if you will. Right. And, and understand how to like step up into the pocket that, you know, get, make your second read. That, so, that was something that, and uh, granted the offensive line did not give him any favors in that Syracuse game, but that was something that he, I, I thought he also really struggled with was just pocket management. And that, that is a, that's a tough skill to learn. Like that requires a lot of reps and practice. And, you know, you learn that over many years of being quarterback. So, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily fair to be like, Oh, this was really bad in your first game in college on the road, but you know, that was something that really kind of doomed his first effort. And I think that that's something that he's probably going to be, have to be improving on, you know, throughout his entire career as a football player. All right. And just a moment, Mitch and I are going to talk a little bit. He has some defensive statistics he wants to go over. And if you like stats, you're going to really enjoy what he has to talk about here. Now I want to talk about my favorite thing, which is the built bar. If you haven't tried built bar puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to my favorite cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, which is my favorite part. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. And it's good for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are 160 calories and they're a whopping 15 grams of protein telling you this is the perfect treat for you and your family. Whether you need a snack on the go or a meal replacement, the the Built Bar Puff can't be beat. So you're going to love the new cookie dough chocolate puff. Cookie dough chunk puff, excuse me. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, 
Built is the perfect protein bar and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. This is AJ Black here. Thank you to everyone who has made Locked On Boston College your first listen every morning. Now, if you are you know, on a walk or, or driving to work, you plug up your phone and, and you hit that play button. Thank you so much. We're two weeks away from the start of the college football season, and I cannot wait to talk about the 2022 Boston College Eagles with you five days a week. Now, Mondays are going to be with Mitch for the next couple months. Oh, it's actually all year usually with him, but we'll be talking about the season with him for the next couple months and i can't wait to talk you know about these games so make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you listen on spotify itunes give us a five-star review really does help people find our podcast and helps grow this little boston college community now mitch you said you had some defensive statistics. You know, both of us have been diving into deeper statistics lately. I have, after trashing them a little bit, have been enjoying getting into the pro football focus uh, stats. I uh, got myself a subscription and have been using it for Eagle Insider on my player previews. Mitch, you have something a little different. Talk a little bit about what you've been looking into. Yeah, so I recently got access to data from Sport Info Solutions, which is a kind of a company similar to PFF. They're out of uh, Copley, Pennsylvania. Um, and they do a lot of the, most of the stuff they do is NFL, but they also have this great, uh, team tendency app for looking at essentially a team's defensive tendencies and whether it be formate like formation or gen- different alignments, or even they have some great, like pass rushing coverage, uh, statistics as well. So I think I talked a little bit about this on the spaces as well, but you know, that some of the things that really stick out to me is basically looking at these stats, you can tell BC is, at least in 2021, I'm not sure how much they might, they'll probably stick with this a little bit in 2022 as well. But this was a team that was very married to playing cover one and cover three defenses. And, you know, for those who don't know, cover one is a man defense where you have one, one defender deep and the rest of the defense is a man. And cover three is when is a zone coverage where there are three defenders. That's essentially the field is divided into three deep zones with usually the two outside corners and one of the safeties playing the deep middle. And, the rate, the usage rates of these kind of plays are crazy. So there's, they delineate these two, the the types of plays into one high shells and two high shells, which essentially like, do you have one player covering deeper two? And BC actually used it one high shells, the third highest rate of any team in college football last year, uh, uh, 520 snaps, which was 69%. And again, third in all of FBS. Um, and then two high shells was only 25% of the time, which was 125th in college football and and combined with that there's a, there's a concept called middle of the field closed middle of the field open it's essentially based on how the defense covers deep like are they covering the, is there somebody over the middle of the field or is there not or is there not like kind of right down the quarterback center and essentially cover three and cover one are usually that that's qualifies middle of the field closed whereas cover two and um cover four is middle of the field open and uh con- you know consistently with that cover with that one high shell Middle of the field coverage, VC used it 60% of the time, which is the second highest usage rate knowledge of college football. Um, and they only used middle of the field open coverage, 36 plays, 10% of the time, which was 130th. So last, they were literally last in middle of the field open coverage. So what this tells me is that because BC is so confident in their corners, you know, guys, I mean, last year they brand Sebastian and Elijah Jones and Josh Berry. This year they'll probably have Josh Berry 
Elijah Jones and maybe CJ Burton play on the outside. And essentially what they want to do is they want to force college quarterbacks to take deep shots down the sideline because those are kind of, you know, high variance throws. You know, they don't want to give up easy throws over the middle. They want to make quarterbacks take these kind of risky throws to the outside because most college quarterbacks, you know, they, they want it. They want easy. They want it over the middle. They want to see their receiver and kind of hit them in stride as opposed to trying to kind of locate them down you know, on vertical routes down the side of the field. So now some quarterbacks obviously, you know, like to throw it deep, but they're not as accurate. And, you know, with essentially the whole secondary besides brand Sebastian coming back, I can't imagine they're really going to change this strategy and philosophy in 2022. Right. And, and it sounds like, I mean, you would do that now because you got, I feel like there's even more talent back there. You got mm-hmm. Jason Matry coming back. Um, and I like some of the the talent that they have around them. You know, some of the, some of the corners that you're seeing coming in and, the, the talent around them. Do you think this is a, a solid strategy at the college level? Like it feel, I feel like if you're forcing a college quarterback, most of the time, these quarterbacks, unless you're facing, you know, CJ Stroud or Bryce young are going to struggle to hit those passes. Absolutely. Because, and like, again, you know, with how much RPOs are used in college football day by pretty much any team, you know, even just think about wake forest, like, quarterbacks want a quick easy slant or quick you know throw over the middle where they don't have to they can kind of just keep looking straight and then just you know don't have to adjust their body at all so you kind of essentially have to force quarterbacks to have really good timing really good really good accuracy deep down the field uh, to the outside and you know you're essentially forcing these 50 50 shots which you know for a defense that's you kind of want that and so it, it, it is interesting though so this these usage rates also come with a positive play percentage, which this is from the point of view of the offense. So, you know, I say this, they use, this was the usage rate. Um, They allowed a a positive play 45% of the time, which ranked 88th in college football when they used one high shells. And when they were in middle of, when middle of the field was closed, uh, they allowed a a positive play 40% of the time, 44% of the time, which was 60th in uh, college football. So, you know, I, I think that you're, playing that is still a sound strategy because you're, you are forcing those like high variance throws. And essentially, you know, if, if the offense can consistently do that and beat you, then, you know, more power to them because that is something that it's difficult for opponent for, you know, different opponents to consistently do given the variance in quarterback talent, given the variance in receiver talent and, you know, the relationship between those two players. All right. Was there any other stats? We only have a couple of quick minutes. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, interestingly, so they had, uh, if you look at the pass rush tendencies, they actually, uh, blitz, uh, 34% of the time, which was the 24th highest blitz rate in college football. Um, looking for some positive, uh, play stats. Um, you know, even though I, d- so here's another one. So they used man coverage on 123 snaps, which was 33%. Uh, that's the 30th highest usage rate. They generated positive plays on 37%. No, they only allowed positive plays on 37% of those snaps, which was 35th in college football. So, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot of essentially co- what these numbers tell you is that BC is playing a lot of cover one. And for the most part, they're pretty successful when they play that. All right. Well, that's, a, that's some interesting stuff. I love hearing more of the X's and O's that, you know, maybe as a general fan, you may not see. Here's, here's an example. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but there is an article that I was editing for my other site where essentially for really good quarterbacks, can defeat cover one. Like you they have to be like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Cause you have to like find the ideal matchup and attack it like with great timing. And obviously most college quarterbacks are not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady or what have you. Right. Okay. 
Uh, well, we're, we're out of time. So Mitch, how can people follow you on social media and tell them about your new project? Uh, you can find me at Mitchell T. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E on Twitter. And uh, so like I said last week, right now I am the editor or one of the editors for the 33rd team on the on the betting and fantasy side. Um, so obviously football season is approaching. You know, you're probably scheduling out your fantasy drafts. So I highly recommend you come over to the 33rd team and check out all the content we have over there. Uh, we work with a ton of former NFL legends. Um, I'm talking... Bill Parcells, Marvin Lewis, Brett Favre, Rondé Barber, Bill Polian. Um, we just had uh, Wade Phillips publish an article talking about stop playing starting quarterbacks in the preseason. Uh, Mike Zimmer just is working with us. Matt Castle, Mike Martz. Uh, you know, just if you watch the NFL, essentially in the 2000s, the 2010s, like you're going to see names that you're very familiar with. So I would highly recommend you come over to our site, check out the betting stuff, and also just check out our football stuff. You know, it's a great way to become a smarter football fan. All right. I'll definitely be checking that out too, Mitch. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Black underscore BC. Again, we'll be back tomorrow to talk camp. Uh, BC is holding today their first scrimmage of the summer, and we'll have some updates after the practice on that. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all again soon. Take care, everyone.